Good morning. Uh, this morning I am continuing our series in Acts. As you can see, we're in Acts 14, 1 to 7. Now after last week, where Andy had this mammoth section of scripture, I, I preach a mistake this week. I looked at my section and thought, that's only seven verses, how am I going to talk for half an hour? And um, I might have over-prepared just a little bit. So, I'm going to go a little bit faster than usual. If I'm going too fast, whack your hand up, say, Dave, calm down, and I'll slow down a little bit for you. So, let's jump straight into the text. So, it is Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the others, sorry, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding where they continued to preach the gospel. All right then, so this is where we are. Just a quick reminder, so in, in Acts chapter 13, Andy kind of walked us through the beginning of this first mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. So they started off in Antioch, which is in Syria. From there, they went down to the port of Seleucia. Da, 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 da. Don't you love it when technology works once and then not again? No? Oh, there we go. They went to Seleucia. From Seleucia, they crossed over to... Oh, there we go. Over to Cyprus. This is going to go really well. Don't worry, there's, there's a lot of slides in this very first section. Then after that, I've only got like four slides. <laughs> Woo! Uh, from Cyprus, they crossed over. Uh, this is not going well. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I mean, laptop's on its way to Cyprus, yeah. Uh, you, you know what, just hang on. God, please, sort it out. <laughs> from there, they crossed over to... I'll tell you what, can you just press the button for me? Thank you very much. Can you press the button for me? There we go. Brilliant. They went over to Perga, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. And then from there, they went up to Antioch. Different Antioch to the one they started in. It's like Bangor in South Wales. Is it South Wales? Bangor in Wales and Bangor in Northern Ireland. Different places, same name. Don't stress about it. Next, from there, Andy was talking to us last week about how they were in Antioch and there was kind of... uh, they, They were... People were stirred up against them and they were basically booted out of Antioch. Which brings us to Iconium. I'm going to put this down because it's useless. All right. So if you can press the button for me. Thank you very much. So we're in Iconium. Now, as we were looking at the map before, it looked like a really strange journey, didn't it? It There was lots of random lines all over the place. But I promise, Paul was a clever guy. It was all strategic. See, at this point in their journey, now they've made it all the way to Turkey, they're actually working their way along a well-known Roman commercial road called the Via Sebast, or the Royal Road. This is really loose. I'm having a nightmare. There we go. 
So by traveling along all these uh, major trade routes, going through the major ports, they are passing through large, culturally mixed cities where people from all over the world would come to buy, sell, and trade before moving on. Paul and Barney, as I like to call him, um, they weren't just setting up their soapbox to preach in every old little town and village they came to, although I'm, I have no doubt they continued to tell people about God. But no, they were going and they were focusing on large trading hubs where they knew they could reach the most people with the message of the cross. Iconium, which still exists in Turkey today, it's got a different name now, it's called Konya, was one such city. See, one of the key features about Iconium that made it perfect for trade is that it was built on a crossroads. Which now you understand the picture behind me. Uh, it was a place where people came to do business before heading either north to Galatia, south to Lystra and Derby, east to Syria, or west to Ephesus. When people would come to the crossroads of Iconium, they always had a choice to make. Whichever road they chose would simultaneously lead them towards their destination and move them further away from every other location. I'm, I'm not really reinventing the wheel, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But I'm just saying it, because geographically speaking, Iconium was not only a place of trade, but it was a place where decisions were made and where divisions were made. When you come to a crossroads, you have decisions and divisions. And it's no surprise then that Paul and Barnabas would choose to stay and preach the gospel here. Not only was it full of people who were potentially responsive to the gospel message, but it was always a, also a place that physically mirrored the spiritual effect of that message. See, the eternal truth of Jesus' death, resurrection, and our salvation by his grace also requires a decision and some division. And as they proclaimed the good news in Iconium, it brought about plenty of both. Next slide, please. So Paul was a very educated guy, like I said. And it's no surprise that he was very intentional and methodical in how he approached preaching the gospel. Here, Paul and Barnabas follow their usual pattern and they head straight to the synagogue. But why, why is that their pattern? Well, the synagogue would have been the epicenter of spiritual life in Iconium. It was a place where traveling teachers were welcome to come and open up the scriptures and expound on them. Albeit, if the local elders didn't like what you were saying, things could get sticky pretty quick. Um, but beyond this practical point, they were preaching Jesus. Jesus, who came as a Jew, lived under Jewish law, was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecies concerning the Messiah. Jesus came so that none should perish. But he first came to his chosen people, the Jews. So by going to the synagogue, they were simply echoing the pattern of Jesus' ministry and telling people the good news of what he achieved for all who choose to put their trust in him. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. They went to the synagogue because they knew people would be receptive and that the Jews were the initial target of God's intention. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> <coughs> And when they were there, they spoke effectively, which is nice. I'm hoping 
things will improve in that direction for me this morning. So at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So why were they so effective when it came to preaching the gospel? Well, they say a good preacher always has a five-point answer to anything. So I'm going to have a go here. One, they were commissioned. In Galatians, Paul talks about his Damascus Road experience. How, in fact, let me just quote him on this. Um, God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles. Great. So we have people who know that they have been set apart, know that they have been sent to preach the good news of Christ. So they were commissioned. They were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Um, When Ananias went to meet Paul in Damascus, he prayed and he said, um, he said that he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he he was commissioned, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew who he was speaking to. So he tailored his approach. See, this time it was the Jews. On later missions, he'd be speaking to Greeks, and you can see the difference in how he he approaches it. See, Paul was a great communicator, and he always knew how to approach things in order to be all things to all people. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 to 23 says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to, the, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. So they were anointed, they were sent, they knew who they were speaking to, they were rooted in scripture. You see, the only way they would have been allowed to speak in the synagogue is to come in and open up the Jewish scriptures, which is the Old Testament. And in that, they would have have found all the different prophecies and shown how Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of all those. So they were rooted in scripture as well. And the final point, number five, They made complex spiritual truth understandable and accessible for all people. They spoke with power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They spoke the language of the people and as a result, God blessed them and they saw a great number come to believe. Now last week, Andy shared a statistic. Does everyone remember the the 80% statistic? 80% of Christian believers have not shared the gospel in the last two years. That's terrifying. I found that really quite shocking and uh, and challenging as well. Because I I don't think it's been two years, but I'm not, it hasn't been this week, I'll be honest. When did you last share the gospel? Because we have all those things. We are commissioned. We are commissioned to go into the, good, into the world and spread the good news. We have the Holy Spirit. We know who we need to reach. You could swing a cat and hit someone. Are we rooted 
in the scriptures? And do we know how to communicate the gospel? Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Dave, you know, you read your Bible all the time and, you know, you, you go on courses and you don't have to have a doctorate in theology to tell someone the good news of Jesus. That's good news in itself. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause right here and I want you to turn to the person next to you, decide who is A and who is B, and A has two minutes to explain the gospel to B. Ready? It's getting practical, people. Oh, yeah, you thought you were just going to sit there and enjoy the ride this morning. So pick someone and let's share the gospel. Two minutes, off we go. Okay, try and draw that to a close now. So, if you were B, I hope you learned something because we're going to switch it over now. So if you're B, I want you to explain the gospel to A. Yeah, I thought you got off with it. So, ready? Let's go. You've got about 10 seconds. <laughs> okay, let's bring those conversations to a close. All right then, so... There is a reason I made you do that. There is a reason that I made you do that this morning and there is a reason that you're all laughing and feeling slightly uncomfortable. It's because we as a church, we as a people are out of practice when it comes to sharing the gospel. The statistics bear that out. Only 20 out of 100 are sharing the gospel every two years. We've just done it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. It's like a muscle. You know, the more, the more push-ups you do, the easier they get. I promise. 
And it's just the same with the gospel. So let's do that. Let's make that a discipline to try and tell someone this week the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've just done it in two minutes and you've heard someone else do it too. So you take what they did well, take what you did well, put it together and let's do this. Because we are called, we are commissioned, we are anointed. This is part of who we are. Now, when the gospel is shared, it doesn't always go our way. You see, the text also speaks about those who refuse to believe. See, interestingly, it doesn't say the Jews that didn't believe, but those who refused to believe. See, it's not that the Jews in the synagogue found the gospel so unbelievable, but what they found it was offensive. Because it challenged them, it challenged their whole hierarchy, it challenged their whole way of life, it challenged this whole idea of working your way into being good enough to earn salvation. If, if I live a certain way, then God owes me my place in heaven. That's what the gospel challenges. It says, no, we are broken, we need him. We are desperately in need of the grace of God. And that is so offensive to the Jews at this point in time. They did not like it one bit. So, there was a reaction. Oh, yes. Any Lord of the Rings fans in today? Yeah, yeah. One woo, one woo. I'll take the woo. Uh, interestingly, just not looking at anyone in particular, but Lord of the Rings is also a book. Um, so is Pride and Prejudice, yes. For those of you who were here last week, you'll, you'll understand that. Um, <laughs> so, in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, um, J.R.R. Tolkien introduces us to a character called Theoden. Uh, Theoden is the king of a, a, he has a small kingdom called Rohan. Uh, Rohan is known for its loyalty and for its fighting horsemen. Uh, and in an effort to stop the world of men from uniting in battle against the evil wizard Saruman and his evil master Sauron, King Theoden is placed under a spell. And this fella here, Wormtongue, is dispatched to his court to whisper poison in his ear. And until the spell is broken, Theoden is twisted by lies and becomes a puppet of his enemies. And as we look back at the text, we see the same thing happening here. Albeit without the magic spells and Oscar-nominated wizards. Uh, we have, see, it says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Those Jews who found the gospel so offensive decided to whisper lies into the ears of those who would listen and undertook to stir up the Gentiles to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And this is something that we see in our society today. We live in a secular culture set on poisoning minds against the truth of the gospel. A gospel, gospel that holds up a mirror and says that there is only one road at that crossroads that will lead to freedom. There is only one road, one narrow path that leads to life. And his name is Jesus But we see a reaction against that. It wasn't that long ago, Tim Farron, a Christian politician, was forced out of politics. As soon as, as, soon as the wrong people found out that he was a Christian, they, they, they entrapped him 
they put him in a position where he, he knew he was going to say something that would end his career. And they knew it too. All he did was stand on the biblical truth and affirm biblical marriage. And for that, his career was over. He came to that crossroads and he could see a path that led where he wanted to go and a path that led to success. But ultimately, it was the wrong road. And he came to that crossroads and he made the right choice. And for that, I respect man. Similarly, we have enemies. I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, and Richard Dawkins was being interviewed. Now, I'm not saying Richard Dawkins is the enemy. Uh, you know, he is, he is a man made in the image of God and whether he likes it or not, I will love him. But his position on certain things is abhorrent <laughs> and it is willfully undermining seeking to undermine the gospel. And one of the things he was talking about is, is this new program set up to teach primary school teachers the best way to teach evolution to undermine faith. So he is whispering poison into the ears of the people who mold our children's minds. So this is not a new thing. This goes all the way back to the text. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We have a powerful enemy but he's not, he's predictable, is what he is. Satan has no new tricks. He just likes to redress them. So, faced with this, how do Paul and Barnabas respond to the Jews stirring up persecution and turning the Gentiles against them? They persevered. In fact, if you could go to the next slide for me. They trusted God and they stayed for considerable time in the face of opposition. I find that challenging. Because I know when, I find, when I'm finding things difficult, it is much easier to turn and run. <laughs> but no, they stayed. Sharing the gospel isn't always an easy, instant thing. If only we could all be, you know, that guy who, who shares the gospel once and then someone's life has changed. That'd be great. But that's not how it works. Sometimes it's one conversation. Sometimes it's a series of conversations. Sometimes it's simply a life shaped around the gospel. In fact, more often than not. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. See, Paul and Barnabas certainly lived a life that announced the truth of their words. They knew the witness of preaching boldly in the face of persecution. They trusted that when they pushed forward and obediently preached Jesus, that God would show up. They knew if their testimony honoured God, then God would honour their testimony. And God did show up. We see that, that their, God confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. But it's interesting to see that actually if we look at that text, first they preach boldly, then comes the confirmation. How often do we say, God, if you just do this miracle for me, then I'll know it's the right thing to do and then I'll serve you. It's like that, that whole lie of, if I just have a little bit more money in my bank account, then my life would be better. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. See, God works 
this way. He wants to work with us from a place of faith. If we we think back to the Old Testament, when Joshua is moving the people out of the desert into the promised land to their first battle at Jericho. The night before, everyone prays, they load up, they get in position, they start walking, there is a big river between them and the promised land. And God doesn't say, just wait on the side, I'll stop the river. No, no, no. They start walking with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They get so the water is above their knees and they wait. It's at that point that God stops the river, that he blocks blocks the river upstream and they walk over on dry ground. See, we have to trust God. When we step out in faith in sharing the gospel, we have to step out in faith, knowing that as we honour God, God will honour us. God will honour his message. The same with Peter. When Jesus is walking towards him on the, on the water, Peter doesn't wait for the waves to turn into solid ground. He steps out of the boat, knowing that <laughs> he needs to put his foot on something, but all he can see is water. And it wasn't until his foot made a connection and he had his eyes focused on Jesus that God met him and confirmed what he was doing. So what about us? How are we supposed to respond in the face of opposition to the gospel? I wonder, are you prepared to step out? Are you prepared to take a risk and trust that when your testimony honours God, he will honour your testimony? I'm repeating myself a lot here because these are the key things I want you to hook onto. See, Romans 12, 2 tells us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we encounter resistance, we are not to let our hearts be burned or allow ourselves to be crushed under the weight of opposition. You see, in John 3, 14, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now here, Jesus is making a reference, again, which goes all the way back to the church in the wilderness. At this time, many many of the, the, uh, the Israelites have been bitten by poisonous snakes. And so God tells Moses to make a bronze snake hold it up high, and people were to come, look the snake in the eyes, and at that point, they would be healed. And the, the point Jesus is making here is that only he is the antidote to the poison of the enemy. When we feel ourselves under attack, when we feel resistance to the truth of Jesus, we are to hold him up high and look him in the eyes. And in doing that, in in turning our attention to Jesus and raising him up, that is where change comes. That is where breakthrough happens. I'm doing that thing that preachers do with their hands. Didn't mean to do that. (laughs) But that's the truth of it. What else can we do? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you don't know what to do in a situation, that's okay. Ask 
We can and we should ask for God's wisdom and direction in all situations. Every conversation that we're having, every choice that we make, every crossroads that we come to, we ask for God's wisdom. We seek him. We must be intentional in keeping our lives free from the things that corrupt us and distract us. In Psalm 51, David prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We need to repent from our sin and ask God to lead us into purity. We also need to be intentional in defending the hearts and minds of those who we we approach with the gospel message. They say, before you speak to your neighbor about God, you need to speak to God about your neighbor. I believe that. We need to be praying, not only for the people in this room, but for for those who have yet to hear the good news, for those who've heard it and not responded, and for those who have heard it and rejected it. We need to be soaking people in prayer and, and regularly testifying to God's greatness. And that's how we persevere. And just like Paul and Barnabas, we persevere and press into God in the face of resistance because, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. So from now, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Amen. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors of a God who wants nothing more than to reconcile with his creation. Like a father so desperate to reunite with his prodigal son that even while he's far off, he pegs it to him, throws his arm around him, puts rings on his finger and says, you are my son, I've missed you. We have a ministry of reconciliation Are you prepared to take that narrow road that leads to Christ? Are you prepared to stand at the crossroads and point and say, the cross is that way? That is the only way. Jesus loves you. He wants you. He's desperate to be reconciled to you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Are you prepared to do that, knowing that you will simultaneously be moving away from sin, the, the, the things you like, the things you think about, those, those sticky issues that, that are in your life that you keep being drawn back to. Because you can't do one without the other. You can't have your pet sin over here and follow Jesus over here. You can't go north and south at the same time. If that happens, you get ripped in half, you're dead. So I believe, never seen it happen. Like the crossroads of Iconium, the gospel brings a decision that will bring division. Next slide, please. So we read in verse four, 
The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. See, the division is real. Jesus promised it would happen. From the very first call of the disciples, he taught them that they would be rejected in a world that first rejected him. And as they had sought the blood of Jesus, they would now seek to attack those who preached his name. And although the gospel is about reconciliation, it is still about division. Division from sin, division from death, division from earning our way to heaven, division from condemnation. In Matthew 10, Jesus reminds us that I have not come to bring peace but a sword. How are I thought Jesus was, you know, this lovely bearded fellow who sat on a cloud playing the harp talking about peace and love. And you see, you're talking about the gospel as a sword. But you see, a sword is a tool for dividing. It's got a sharp edge for separating one thing from another. See, the gospel is a tool for dividing between what is holy and acceptable to God and what is not. This means that those of us who choose to participate in his grace will be saved. But those who refuse it will not. The stakes are high. And only 20% of us are stepping out and sharing that. That's a challenge. When Paul and Barnabas present the cross at the crossroads of Iconium, many chose the narrow road to salvation. And many others made the decision to follow the road to destruction. Thankfully, God had Paul and Barnabas on his radar, in his hands, and he warned them. They found out about the plot to stone them, and Paul and Barnabas demonstrated the difference between being bold and being daft, and they decided to move on. They preserved their life, and they continued to take the gospel message to Lystra and Derby. The mission continues. The mission continues for us today as well. So how does this all apply to us? You see, we know that the gospel is a matter of reconciliation, of reconciling to God by participating with his grace through Jesus. But that decision comes with division. It comes with making a choice, a hard choice sometimes. In fact, almost all the time, it's very rarely an easy choice to choose holiness. It can be a habit, and that's what we're aiming for. What is your crossroads? Where are you this morning? As a country, we're at a crossroads, aren't we? Politically. We need to be praying into that more. I'm glad we prayed into that this morning. But but what is your crossroads? Are you standing at the crossroads of your life, ready to make a decision to follow Jesus? Will you recommit yourself to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, lock, stock, the lot? Will you fight against the statistics and step out in faith and preach the gospel 
When you feel drawn into old sinful thoughts, patterns and behaviours, will you walk down the path that leads you towards destruction? Or will you choose to look down in the dirt at the footprints of the God who came as man and showed you the way? The man who came, the God-man who came to lead you in paths of righteousness. Beside still waters. Through the valley to the mountaintop of salvation. Today, you stand at a crossroads. We all do. Which road will you take? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And when we come to these crossroads in our life, we pray for wisdom. We ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your strength. Lord, that we can make choices in our lives today and tomorrow and every day after that honor you. Lord, that we can follow you in paths of righteousness. Lord, that we can take the less traveled road. Lord, that we can stand in the face of of resistance to the gospel, Father, knowing that the truth will stand regardless. Lord, whatever our crossroad is this morning, whether it's what relationship to pursue, whether it's, it's old patterns of behavior, Father, choosing to forgive or not, Father, we want to respond to you. We want to step out in faith this morning, set our compass due north, and walk to you. For your good, for our good rather, and your glory. Amen.